against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And here's how Jonah responded. This is where Jeff Burke comes in. But Jonah ran after paying the fare, disobeyed. Amen. When they threw him off the boat, this happened in verse 17 of chapter 1. Now the Lord provided a huge fish. Can you, let's, let's not keep it in kid story land. This is, God did this. So God provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly, get this, three days and three nights. Church, what we have here is a, a runaway prophet. We have someone who just literally walked away from God. No, he ran away from God. And he was now in the belly of a big fish. I know you know the story. But while in the darkest place of Jonah's life, he began to have an epiphany. You could say it was because he was in a tough place. It doesn't matter why. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter why you turn back to God. Doesn't matter. God may have you in the middle of a storm. He may have you in a fish's belly. He may have you on the top of the mountain and you realize you need Jesus. Whatever the circumstance is, whatever the situation is, whatever predicament you're in, or whatever high life you're in, you and I need Jesus. Amen. Amen. He started looking back, and then he scribes a portion of his prayer. I don't believe that chapter 2, which includes this prayer, I don't believe that it's all of his prayer. He was in there three days and three nights. Are you with me? Listen, when I know that I'm going against what God's told me to do, um, Three days and three nights. I'd be praying the whole three days and three nights. Especially if I'm in a fish's belly. Amen. So in chapter 2, he begins to scribe. We have record of him writing down a very poetic, very picturesque writing. And I love when writing's like this because it really, it helps me to grab a hold of it. And what it tells us, and we're going to read this chunk of verses, chapter 2, the whole chapter. But here's what it tells me, and I want you to see it as we're reading it. That God is capable of anything. You need to know this going into a new year. God is capable of anything. He's capable of healing. He's capable of fixing what's broken. He's capable of putting back together. Amen. He's capable of tearing apart. He's capable. Would you say that with me? God is capable. Say it. God is capable. Chapter 2. Let's dive into this. I'm asking you, put yourself in the scripture. I'm asking you, why don't you get in there with Jonah for a second? You're in the belly of the well. Kids, you're in the belly of the well, kids. I don't know what that would be like, so let's read about it. Your Bible says this. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. I got to pause there because can you even grasp what it means? Can can we remotely comprehend what it means to us to have the ability to call on the creator and sustainer of the universe? Jonah, from the belly of the well, prayed to God. We have that same privilege. We have that same authority. We have that same right as a child of God to call on the name of the Lord. Listen, listen. There was nothing like being here this week just praying. Just being in the presence of God. I know, I, look, I know you can pray anywhere, but I don't know what it is, but there's something about just getting away, getting alone, getting in the house of God, and seeking his face. 
Can you try to grasp, and I'm not saying that being condescending, it's hard for me to grasp that we have the privilege to call on the creator and sustainer of the universe, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last, come on. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, now here's his prayer, kids feel this. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Verse 5. The engulfing waters threatened me and the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. All you claustrophobics in the house, you're feeling that. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Amen. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. I'm reading it again. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, Jonah said, but I, Jeff Burke said, with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Amen. That prayer was a prayer of repentance. It was a prayer of reconciliation, of restoration. And God was actively working. This is what I love about this. Even though Jonah didn't realize it, God was moving. Even though Jonah thought, man, I'm, I'm, he even said it, I'm banished from you, from your sight. You, you, you threw me to the depths of the sea, to the lowest parts of the mountains, under the ocean, under the water. God was moving. God was working. But Jonah was in the dark. I said, Jonah was in the dark. And I want you to kind of look at the different phases I believe God showed me of his work God says go. Jonah says no. We know the story. It's our life. He gets on a ship. Phase one, God sends a storm, but it didn't work. Phase two, God sends the captain to tell him, you need to talk to your God. Why is this happening? Phase three, the sailors have mercy on him. They didn't throw him over the board. They kind of started to row, but eventually he had to go. That's phase four. They threw him overboard. God sent a huge fish. Phase five, the fish gets indigestion or whatever happens, and he throws him up on the shore. God was moving in all of those situations, in all of those scenes. God didn't lose sight of Jonah. God didn't lose sight of what was happening. God didn't lose sight of his trouble. God didn't lose sight of his pain. God didn't lose sight of his disobedience. God didn't lose sight of his destiny. And even though he was in the darkest place, God was still moving, which brings me to our text, Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Oh, come on. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe that didn't mean nothing to you, but <laughs> then the word of the, did you just, did you hear my phases? Did I need to say them again or are we good? We're good. Okay. You heard my phases, right? The, the man is literally right now covered in whale vomit on the beach. A reminder of his disobedience. Come on now. A reminder of his disobedience. Quick question. How do you think that smelled? How do you think that felt? 
Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Can somebody say a second time, please? Oh, I, listen, I don't title my messages very often, but this one I entitled a second time. What else can we do in the beginning of a new year but to remember that God's going to come to us a second time? A second time. No matter what that year looked like, he's coming to us a second time. The word of the Lord is coming to us a second time. Come on. The one who did not deserve a second time got a second time. The one who should have not had an opportunity for a second chance got a second chance. I can't be the only one who doesn't deserve a second chance. When God says, you know what? You think you don't deserve a second time. You don't think you deserve to be having joy in your life. You don't think you deserve happiness. You don't think you deserve blessing. I'm come to tell you, you get a second chance. You get a second time. The word of the Lord came to him a second time. Most people won't give people a second chance. You know that to be true. You all have those names. You're praying for them. <laughs> That's what Christians do, right? But God's the God of second chances. Aren't you glad? He came to Jonah a second time, and there's people hearing this right now like me. You don't deserve the grace of God. I don't. You don't deserve a second chance. We don't deserve to have the word of the Lord come to us again. Listen, can we be honest? In many cases, and I know this is a blanket statement. It may not apply to you. That's okay. Pray for me. The reality is in many times, the word of the Lord came to us, and we didn't even put it into effect the first time. Why should the creator of the universe waste another word on me? Because that's grace. Because grace comes a second time. Because grace comes a second time. And mercies are new every single day. Somebody should have been happy about that. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Verse 2, here's what it said. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Go. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds very familiar. Didn't he tell him that two chapters ago? He did. Listen, God's not going to change his word he gave you until you do the first word he gave you. It's not going to happen. Listen, write it down. He might say it a different way. Oh, it might have a little more oomph to it. We're going to find that out in a minute. He might not be as nice about it. But you're not going to keep getting words if you can't handle the first word. You're going to keep getting that same word over again until you do it. Amen. Amen. The word of the Lord came to him a second time. Well, it was a second time, but it was the same word. And that word go is an interesting word. I thought, okay, he said go. I get it. But in, in the original language, and I'm not a scholar. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm, I'm so not. But in my studies, I discovered that this word go is two Hebrew words put together, and it means go now. Go now immediately it wasn't what he told Jonah the first time it was the same word but it had a different it had a different impact it had a different punch to it if you will you know what I mean right well, what happened was God raised the ante if you will you, uh, some of you don't know what I'm talking about but some of you know when you raise an ante you know what's happening right you're going all in God raised the ante on this second word God raised it and said, no, 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 you can't, you, you don't have an option to change your mind now. He said, go now. Go immediately. Not in five minutes, not in a day, not in three days, not when you get your act together. We have no record whatsoever that Jonah even wiped himself off before he went. God said, go. God said, go now. Go 
now, immediately. Because when God comes to you a second time with the same word, please hear this. When he comes to you the second time, he gives you another chance. You go now because that way you don't get a chance to talk yourself out of it again. You don't get a chance to let someone else talk you out of it. God said, go immediately. Pack yourself up. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Proclaim the message that I'm going to give you. Listen, this is so important. Why did God call Nineveh great? We would argue that it was actually quite horrible. I, I unpacked a little bit of their, their history and their methodology and their fighting and stuff like that. I won't do that today. But understand this. They were horrendous people. They were brutal. Very unkind. Very destructive. But they were incredibly influential. God said they were great not because he had favor on them or because he even admired what they did. It was because their influence was great. Hear me. Sometimes God's going to come and give you a second chance. God's going to give you another word. God's going to encourage you to come back to him. He's going to, by his kindness, lead you to repentance because he knows you have great influence. You might not think so, but he might know that you are greater than you think you are. He called him great. Nineveh was an ancient city, about 120,000 people. And they were so influential. In fact, it was the cultural epicenter of that part of the world. And here's what I love about it. Historians say that it was one of the most culturally influential cities in history. I don't know that. But God called them great. And he knows more than they do. It had a wall built around it that was seven and a half miles long. And God said, go to the people that you despise and tell them what I tell you to tell them. What was that? Well, verse 3, we see that Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through. Verse 4, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city. Here's a sermon. Here's his message. Aren't you, hold on, aren't you expect, don't go in and don't say anything except what I tell you. Now remember, Jonah had a long walk to get there. And then he walked through it for a day. Yes? Is that what it said? That's what it said, yeah. As a preacher, I'm always thinking of sermons. I'm always thinking of how do I communicate what God's trying to tell me. Jonah would have been the same way. Do I, okay, I'm going to go here. I'm probably going to get killed when I get there. They hate me. They hate my people. So when I tell them whatever God's going to tell me, when I tell them, they're probably going to be off with my head or worse. He's probably thinking, you know what? I probably need to come in. I need to start with a funny story. Maybe three points. I might do a special song. I doubt very seriously if this is what he thought he was going to say, look at it. Verse 4, he began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, and this is from the Lord to the people of Nineveh, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. New King James and the King James words are like this. Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. I bring that out. We'll talk about the overthrown in a minute. I bring that out because this is interesting. Began to enter, began by going. That little phrase, it means to untie. 
It means to loosen. Remember what we read a few minutes ago in chapter 2, verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. As he's going into the city, he's having to drop off everything that tied him or he could not proclaim the word. He didn't just get in the gate and start speaking. He had to walk through his stuff before he was able to do it. As he went into the city, some things had to untie. Some things had to fight. He had to unravel himself before he could proclaim the message God gave him. It's important for us to realize that because in order to start in the direction God wanted him to go, he had to release what it was he was holding on to. And so do we. He had to untie himself from idols. I don't know what that was. It might have been, it could have been his hatred for the Ninevites. It could have been his own pride. It could have been his disobedience. I don't know. I know this. That's not in there by accident. He had to let some things go. And somebody needs to hear this. You're going to need to untie yourself from some things before you can move forward. In a brand new year. The word of the Lord's already came to you. Already has. You can argue about it and you can say, well, it ain't God's time or whatever you want to say. But listen, you have to untie yourself, let go something. What is it? Well, it might be your self-will. That's what it might be. I don't know. It might be self-will. I, listen, I, I'm, I, I'm going to do what I want to do. I, I'm seeking my own happiness, my own way. It might be you need to let go of what you're holding on to in terms of a sense of financial security outside of the Lord. You might need to let go of holding on to what other people think about you. I guess I want to ask you, because I've asked myself, so I believe I have the right to ask you, what are you holding on to? What are you holding on to? Unforgiveness, pain, broken dreams, broken promises. The word of the Lord came a second time. Thank you, Jesus. Again, verse 4. Jonah began to enter a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Can I just park right here for just a second? His message was short. His message was direct. This will probably be the simplest and shortest message you'll ever hear me speak. And I, and I don't say that in arrogance or for comedic value. I mean, I normally talk for a while. Dwayne tells me all the time, but that's not important right now. It was, it's not true. It was direct. This message was even offensive. I've been called that. I've been called too direct. I've been told by prominent preachers in different parts of the country that no one will listen to me because of how I preach. I don't know how I preach. I know I know that this might be my last time. So I'm going to tell you, Jesus loves you. Your sin will take you to hell. But Jesus died so you could live and be free. And because of that, those who believe on his name, confess of their sin, and receive the payment that Jesus paid for their sin can live with him for all of eternity. If that's offensive, the cross is offensive. Oh, but grace is beautiful. The message from Jonah was 40 days and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. Interesting phrase, overthrown. It's one of those words that has two meanings. Literally, same word, two meanings. It's kind of like our word bar. It can mean 
a pole. It could mean a place where you belly up and have some drinks. Bar. This word overthrown means two things. I'm going to ask you to feel this. If you clocked out, clock back in for a second and then you can clock back out. It either means overturned and destroyed or overturned and changed. Do you hear the message now that God told the Ninevites? I believe is a message for the American church today. 40 days and you will either be overturned and destroyed or overturned and forever changed. The choice was the Ninevites. The choice was Jeff Burks. The choice is yours. You're like, okay, what's this whole 40 thing, 40 day thing? What's that all about? Here's what I'll tell you what that's about. Um, God's clock stops. Okay, I'll talk over here for a second. Here's the thing. This is beautiful. Do you think we're going to like live forever? Hmm. No. Isn't it interesting? God put a timeline on this grace. Has anybody ever noticed? He said, you got 40 days. See, he doesn't, he doesn't do that to us today. He doesn't. Now, I need to tell you, by way of explanation on this time clock that I believe God has for all of us, and I don't know yours, but I do know mine. I'm not talking about when I'm going to pass from this life to the next. But I remember on February the 21st, 1983, I was sitting on the back row of a Baptist church, and God spoke to me and said, you're a liar. You're a faker. Everyone thinks you know me and you don't. You need to be saved right now. God might have just been standing there. I don't know. But here's what I do know. That voice was clear. I said, God, I don't want to embarrass my brother who was on stage, my father who I toured with, and my bandmates who I played music with. I'd been in church since I was five years old. I said, I don't want to embarrass them. I'll handle it later. God said, this is the last time I'm asking you. Now, can you imagine... I'm on, this church seats probably 600 people. I stepped out of that back row like, what am I going to say when I get there? I know more than the guy up there. And I don't mean that in arrogance. I mean, he was young like I was. We were kind of on the same level. I said, what am I going to say? I stepped out. I got to the front. I sat down on that front pew going, what am I going to say? Dude grabs his big KJV Bible and he comes down in front of me. He sits down. He says, he's looking for Romans. Go and do the Romans road for me. I was just, okay, Romans 3. He says, you know this as well as I do. And he put that Bible in my lap and he turned out and walked away. See, God told me, it's my last chance. God told the Ninevites, you got 40 days. You can either be overturned and destroyed forever for all of it, or you can be overturned and changed. God is the same yesterday Today and forever. We shout about that. We clap our hands about that. Do we believe that? If we do, we've got to embrace the reality that all of our clocks are ticking. You're like, this is such an encouraging New Year's message. This might be my last chance. So I'm telling you, your clock is ticking. In 40 days, Nineveh was going to be overthrown. I hope you're hearing this today. I hope you... 
Embrace your mortality today. And I hope you hear my message. My message is you have the opportunity to be overturned and changed. I love that prophetic message from the Lord. There's no promise I'm going to wake up tomorrow. There's no promise you are. I hope you are. kind of hope I am. I ain't going to lie about it. I got things I want to do. But he preached this message with passion and with boldness. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed. Ninevites believed God. I hope the Ninevites didn't believe Jonah. Verse 5, the Ninevites didn't believe Jonah. The Ninevites didn't believe the preacher. Ninevites believed God. Ninevites, I don't want you believing me today. That, the only reason I tell a story from my life, because my life's the only the really life I know. That's a true story about my life. But they didn't believe Jonah when Jonah spoke. They believed God. It says it. And they believed God as fast, a fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. What they were saying was we repent. We've heard the message. We've heard the message. And here's the thing about this message. <laughs> this message is, is short. This message is sweet. It, not in terms of its uh, <laughs> uh, savor. It's sweet in terms of its message of eternity. And in those few words, their world is literally changed forever. And they thought to themselves, you know what? I've got to ache a little bit for my sin. We all know what that feels like. Now in this day, they would put sackcloth on and they would lay in dust or ashes. Let's, let's, look, let's look at what they did in verses 6 through 9 quickly. When Jonah... When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. Pause, a, a sign of humility. A sign of humility, that's where it starts. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his robes, and covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people, animals, herds, Flocks taste anything, do not let them eat or drink, but let the people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Change. Repent. Stop doing what you're doing. I I, got to just read it again. Let the people and the animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways. And all of their violence. Do you hear it? It's, let, me, let, me, let me just put this as plain as I can. And I'm, I'm saying it out of love and I hope that's how you receive it. You can't say you know Jesus and live how you want to live. You can't say you know Jesus and live in sin. You can't say you know Jesus and have profane things coming out your mouth. You can't say you know Jesus and have a lustful attitude. You can't say you know Jesus and do whatever you want to do. I can't. You can't. Nobody can. And here the king understood that and he decreed to his people, we've got to change our ways. We've got to change what we do. Uh, uh, People will know we've had a heart change when they see our behavior change. I'm not preaching behavior modification. I'm not saying just act right. I'm saying have a change of heart and it'll come out differently. I'm telling you the Sunday school truth. You'll be different. You'll act different. You'll sound different. Do you understand what I'm saying? This king got it. 
This king understood, this wicked king heard that little short eight-word message and said, I get it. I get it. I hear you. I make a decree. Everybody, sack off, repent, humble yourself, and change your behavior and stop your violence. You say, what kind of guarantee did this king have? None. In fact, he says this in the next verse. Who knows? Who knows? My heart's telling me we have to repent. My heart's telling me all of the people in my kingdom, they've got to bow down, not to me, but to the one true God. We, our sin's caught up with us. The clock's ticking. We can either be overturned and destroyed or overturned and changed for I choose B, the king said. Who knows? Maybe God may relent and with compassion turn his fierce anger so that we will not perish. He had no guarantee. I'm saying that to say this. You may still have a consequence to your sin. I have a consequence to my sin. It doesn't mean you don't walk in grace. It don't mean people's not going to keep reminding you of your sin. That's their problem, not yours. He said, we got to do this. Everyone's repenting. Everyone's praying. Everyone's fasting, humbling themselves. Church, either Jesus is who he says he is, or he isn't. I, my, my clarion call to you as I round third and head for home, my, round, my, my clarion call to you is this. I'm not starting this year like I finished last one. And I didn't have a bad year. In terms of some. Who I'm being very sensitive to. But he either is who he says he is. And we can either turn and change. Or we can just pick up where we left off and keep doing the same thing. I'm not okay with that. I'm just not, Dwayne. Is that okay? I know you're on board with it. I'm just not okay with that. My family's not okay with that. Pastor Dwayne, his family, we're not okay with that. And I know you're not either. I do. We, listen, can you understand this? We're no more spiritual than you. We have our own junk. But we've already talked. I'm not, I'm not doing this year like last year. And can I be real honest? I don't even know what all that means yet. Because I don't have all the answers. Here's what I know. This got to me. This has messed with me. The message that the creator of the universe gave these wicked people of Nineveh is so clear. It's like you got a choice. There's no plan C. It's A or B. And the clock's ticking, FYI. That's profound to me. They humbled themselves. If he's Lord of all, then shouldn't we just take up our crosses and follow him? I mean, I know that's a, that's a, that's a real um, kind of churchy question to ask, but I believe you can handle it. Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we? Jonah comes out preaching fire, and the Ninevites, the people who were the farthest from God, said, we're going to turn to God. I want you to see this, and I'm going to close. The Ninevites repented. Please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. This is my whole message. I talked about it Wednesday at Deep End. About the grace of God. 
I've just been soaking in the meaning and the message of the grace of God for probably a couple of months now. The Ninevites repented with no guarantee that destruction wasn't coming. In verse 1 of our text tonight, this morning rather, God showed Jonah grace because the word of the Lord came to him a second time. In verse 10 of our chapter 3, God shows Nineveh grace. Your Bible says when God saw what they did and then looked at their behavior. No, No, you didn't. When God saw what they did, the repenting, the sackcloth, the ashes, the, the humbling of themselves, the repentance, the remorse, you get the idea. When he saw that, and then he saw how they turned from their evil ways. In other words, they didn't just repent with words. They totally turned from it and walked a different direction. When they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that we have been spared hell. Death is not even a threat to us who know Jesus. Do you feel it? When God saw what they did and they turned, they changed how they did it. He had compassion. He didn't destroy them. He didn't do what he threatened to do. He gave them a second chance. And I pray as we enter a brand new year, that God gives me a second chance. That I live in such a way that my life will bring more fruit than it did last year or last week. I pray that we as a church, that the word of the Lord comes to us a second time, giving us a second chance to move forward as the clock is ticking for all of us, that we move forward in grace, turning from our evil ways, And going forward, God's coming to you a second time. He's giving you a second chance. If you repent and turn to him, watch as he does more than he's ever done before. Pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus. God, I ask for me personally and publicly. You'd forgive me of complacency and apathy and self-centeredness. But Father, also as we, as your people, that we'd repent of our sins and we'd, God, the things that break your heart. And God, we know it. Give us a fire. Give us a passion to be Jesus in this world, to love recklessly, to give generously. God, have mercy on us in the name of Jesus. Church, continue to pray. I want you to think about something you may be holding on to. I want you to be thinking about something that you need to let go of so you can do what God wants you to do. If you recognize, that's me. That's me. That's me. I need to repent of some stuff. I I need to let go of this. I need to leave it behind or I can't follow God the way I know he wants me to. I got to obey him. I want to do it and I got to do it. He's giving me another chance. I want to be his. I want to make a difference. I want, listen, I want you to let go of everything that is holding you down. Come as you are or as you want to be. Just come. As you pray today, many of you are going to recognize God's coming to me again. He's inviting me again. He's calling me again. 
And, and, and you might be just waiting on something religious to happen. You might be waiting on something traditional to happen. Listen, maybe in your past you felt drawn to God and you're feeling it again in the beginning of a brand new year. He's coming to you a second time. And I'm saying it with a sense of urgency. He's coming to you a second time. You know you're getting a spiritual do-over right now. Scripture says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I don't know about you, but I feel a call to the church. If there's something you need to let go of, if you're feeling the call of the Lord coming to you a second time, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat and come to this altar. I'm going to ask you to come. Turn from your evil ways. I don't know your heart. I don't know who I'm talking to. It may be somebody online watching right now. I'm going to ask you in your heart right now, just call out to the Lord. You're getting a chance. You're getting a chance that you've wanted, but you didn't know how to ask for it. God's coming to you without you even asking. For the Ninevites, it was 40 days. For you, I don't know, but I know this. You're here right now. Your lungs are filling up with air, and he's calling you, come, as you are or as you want to be. Will you come right now in the name of Jesus? Let's pray. Maybe as you hear this, you might be thinking, Preacher, you talking about the word of the Lord coming the second time? I've not responded to the first one. I want you to know if you're here today, I, I speak no condemnation. I don't even speak conviction because I can't bring that. Only the Spirit of God can. But I am encouraging you. Whatever you're waiting on to happen before you totally surrender to the Lord and give Him your life, you understand that that's really not how it works. If he's come to you and you've recognized that between you and God there's a space, Jesus came to fill that in. And he's calling you now to him. You get to God through Jesus. So no matter how far you stray, no matter where you're at, Jesus is saying come. If you know your relationship needs restored with him, would you lift your hand up right now? I want to pray directly for you right now. Right now, first Sunday of the year. God bless you, dear. Who else? Right now in this house. God bless you, son. I'm so proud of you. That's brave. I'm proud of you, young man. Who else? Agree with this in your heart, Father, in the name of Jesus. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sins. I know you paid the ultimate price so I wouldn't have to. I received that gift. I believe you are who you say you are, that you came and you died and you rose again. I accept that as the gospel of Jesus Christ. Forgive me. Lead me. Fill me with your spirit. Thank you for coming to me again. I turn from my evil ways and I turn to you in the power 
and the glory and the honor of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for new beginnings. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you.